for Faith Life announcement is check your newsletters. Because that's pretty much how we communicate everything. So, um, I usually <laughs> send one out on Fridays for our prayer requests. But now that I can just create the newsletter from my phone, I just make it from my phone. And then it goes out Thursday night after everybody leaves. And then um, it's also where all the information is when it's like comes to who's watching kids. Anything you know, uh, when you um, tie through the church, the link is on there too. And so newsletters is really the best place to get all your information. Again, if I wrote in our last newsletter that um, we are at a point, September will be our one year of gathering. And I don't project us feasibly reaching critical mass, which is essentially the number of attenders versus what it costs monthly to have house church. And so um, we hope to reach critical mass by January um, for just the gifts for the giving for our church. And so if New Legacy Linden is your house church, I would encourage you to begin tithing to our house church and supporting what we're doing. And again, just like I don't get paid by this. This is why I work at Faith Life. And so really the cost of house church is when we do events, uh, the bulk of the meals, uh, paying for childcare and stuff like that. And then, uh, is there anything else I'm missing? No? Okay, cool. Uh, we're gonna, we did prayer cards at the beginning of July, so we're actually gonna keep those until the end of August. Uh, I'll be honest, this last month has been pure chaos for me and our family with every good thing going on. And so I never, like, those were on my table, and I would see them, and I would pray, and then I never got a chance to, like, tell somebody, mostly Reed and Sawyer, because we got your family. <laughs> we're praying for you, Reed and Sawyer! So um, that's kind of uh, what we're going to do for prayer cards. And I really do hope that you take advantage of that opportunity to, like, pray for each other and to reach out to each other because I think that's probably one of the best parts of community is just knowing that like somebody is praying for you someone is like encouraging you lifting you up and doing all those things and lastly August is for play this thing is slow it's fine we'll see what happens control maybe haha <laughs> August is for play uh, because this month Jessica, Lindsay, and I are meeting for a collective, I think it's about 10 hours, to plan all of the kids' curriculum from September all the way to January. And so if you know, maybe you're a forward planner like me, but if you know that you're just not going to be here for certain Thursdays, let Jessica know because Jessica makes the kids' schedule. And then if you're not, if she writes you in and you're not able to make it, then all you have to do is let her know and... Um, she'll be able to help you figure out like next steps and so we can start our sermon and so today we're continuing in Matthew so if you want to bring out your Bible your digital Bible uh, we're doing Matthew 8 verses 18 through 22 perfect Jenna can you start and we'll go clockwise when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus 
this I join, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to her, said to him, the Lord, or Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead burrow their own, bury their own dead. So this is a really weird chunk of scripture to kind of embed right in the middle of Jesus, like Jesus's um, miracle stories and his healing stories. Um, but I felt like before we continue to dive a little bit deeper, um, to kind of take a moment to recap on Matthew, um, the why, like a huge reason of like when we structured and prayed about New Legacy Linden, a huge reason of how we wanted to do stuff was we wanted to teach through the Bible. Um, I've spent a lot of time in um, in churches, which I think is great, where it's more, like, topical. Like, we're going to teach about grace. And so, for weeks, all we talked was grace, but it was very much, like, cut and paste. Like, this works, and this is about grace, and this is about grace. And for Riley and I, we... I wasn't raised in the church, and so for me, it was, like, I want to know deeper... And because there's a lot of things that you can read in the Bible that you're like, that's weird. Like, for example, verse 22, follow me now, let the dead bury their dead. I'm like, that's a little brutal. And so it isn't until we can, like, dig deeper and go deeper in Scripture together as a community where we actually learn more context and content so we can better understand what it actually means to follow Jesus, but also who Jesus actually is. Because for me, um, our first, my first ministry job was youth pastor. And from there, I learned that I didn't want my own kids to just say that they knew Jesus but didn't really know Jesus. Like, I didn't want them to say, well, I'm a Christian because my parents are a Christian. I want my kids to say, I'm a Christian because I chose Jesus. And so what was interesting was in my experience in ministry, the hardest kids to ever share the gospel with and, like, teach were kids who were raised in the church. Because there's this idea that I already know everything, so you can't tell me anything new. So there wasn't this desire to be like, I want to go deeper, and I want to learn more. And so, uh, let's recap. Who wrote the book of Matthew? Not a trick question. Matthew. Who was his audience? Who did he write this book for? (coughs) Jewish people. Jewish people. What was his end goal with the book of Matthew? He wanted to show and prove that Jesus was the rightful Messiah and Savior. So that he was the messianic hope. That's why as we continue to go through um, Matthew, you'll see that he does a lot of throwback to um, the prophets. Because essentially every time he references a prophet, he's like, this is another example of why Jesus is Messiah. So last week we talked about the healings of the leper, the centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law. And at the end it says, and he pulls from Isaiah, like he, he came to heal our sickness and our infirmities. And so going into the first chunk of scripture, which was, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross up to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, 
but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. And so this kind of like this little insert into this, like the healing stories was really unique. And I was researching this why of everything that Matthew could have continued writing about. It made more sense that he would just continue on all these healing stories. But I think why it was critical that Matthew stopped is like for me, the way that I read it was that when Jesus does and does all these incredible things, there's a lot of following. There's a lot of people who are like, we want to see more. We want to know what's next. And there's a lot of this like emotional pull. And what Matthew is going to share next is just how Jesus is constantly telling people like, are you sure you want to follow me? Are you sure this is the life you want to live? Are you sure you're ready to pay the cost of this. And so Jesus is about to, he told his disciples to go on the other side. And the first thing that we see is a teacher of the religious law. So that could be assumed the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees said like, I'll follow you. And, um, and he calls Jesus teacher. And so my first question is why, why is the title teacher in that context so important? Why is it a title of honor? Because the guy saying it is a teacher? The guy saying it is a teacher? In the original language, um, the word teacher in verse 18 is two, no, sorry, in verse 19 is two different words. And so the first one, one of the teachers of the religious law in Greek is grapho, which essentially means a scribe of the law. So he knew scripture, he knew um, the Torah, he knew religious culture. And the second one, the title in which he gives Jesus, um, I believe is didaskalos, which is like this title of honor because rabbis were teachers and they were the cultural religious leaders of their day. So you have a scribe of the religious law calling somebody who essentially preached the entire time things opposing religious like the religious culture and lifestyle, he is acknowledging that Jesus is a teacher. He's acknowledging that Jesus is a man of authority. He's acknowledging that he is willing to go and follow Jesus. And the context of that scripture in verse 19 is that he wasn't, the context wasn't, I'm going to follow you forever. It was, I'll follow you across the lake. But like I said, it's so contrary to have a religious leader call somebody who has been preaching against what they believed to call that person a teacher and so I wanted just to, us to take a moment and say how was Jesus's teaching contradicting religious culture because <clears throat> he came to fulfill the law yeah so he's like those laws not all of them need to be followed anymore yeah like, to the extent they were I think Jesus did a really good job at calling religious people out on, like, Prophecy. missing the entire point. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. They had turned it into just a checklist or a rule book, and then you're in big trouble if you don't follow it, versus, you know, Jesus teaching um, compassion and love and mercy and stuff. Yeah. 
Where they had turned it into a hierarchy. Yeah. Like, the way that I interpret this conversation was the scribe saying, I want to follow you, and Jesus is like, are you sure? And, like, this is... This is where I spent a lot of my time praying and studying because when, like, I know that I mentioned months ago that when somebody says, I want to follow Jesus, my first question is, are you sure? Because I think in a culture where we've built a lot of church and religious community, Christianity around events and programs, and we don't preach the entirety of the gospel, like, we want to bring people in so we make Christianity fun which I do think being a Christian is fun but we only show like one side the hype the adventure like woo and we don't show the other parts of faith we do this giant disservice because people in this emotional moment say like I want to follow Jesus I think of like classic like summer camp experience where like every kid leaves thinking they've been called a youth ministry and they're like, yes, I want to do this. And we're like, yeah, which like that should be celebrated. But even Jesus was like, are you sure? Do you know what this looks like to follow me? Because in this following scripture, he goes, foxes have their dens. I don't even have a, and birds have their nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head every night. Jesus was traveling. He was going. The places that he stayed were places with friends or people who were followers of this movement. And so when we teach a gospel not in its entirety and we just make it Christianity, it's all about grace. There's grace, 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 grace. While there is grace, there's also the works and the lifestyle to match the grace. While there is forgiveness, there is also repentance. People I know who are living their life following Jesus, it is not all lollipops and unicorns. It is not all about feeling good and abusing grace, which Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Is that if we only preach grace, people are going to get screwed in the way that they think about Jesus. Because then we just abuse it. But if we only teach, like, hard damnation, like, people are going to miss grace. And so how do we preach all of it? How are we being intentional about living a life where we're inviting people into this space of seeing like following Jesus is hard. It's also worth it. Following Jesus wherever he calls you to go is worth it. It's fun. I've never met somebody wholeheartedly following Jesus. Like I really regret this joy, this forgiveness, this grace bit. Like it's really hard. But it's that invitation into this space where Jesus is like, are you sure? Because you have this religious teacher saying, I'll follow you. And he's like, are you sure? Because I don't even have a home. So if that's something you value, just know that as the Messiah, even I don't have this. And so that really challenged me into this idea that Jesus, the first thing that he calls out is he didn't have a home. He had no attachment to a physical place. He was constantly moving. And why that challenged me is because my childhood was incredibly unstable. And so my home is a place that represents stability. 
So even the idea of not having a home is something that causes like great anxiety in me because it brings back a ton of stuff from my childhood. So it reminds me like even the son of man did not have a place to lay his head, but he was fulfilling the call of God in his life. So what does that look like for me? What does that look like for us? And I feel like it's this continued, I, like this continued call to live with what I call open hands. Like you can't grab anything if your hands are open. You can't clench onto anything if your hands are open. It's honestly up for grabs. And so this is the way I believe that Jesus calls people to live. Is he's like, I didn't even have a home. So if your home is something you're holding onto as a place of value, as identity, as stability, I am all those things to you. So hold it with open hands. If it is your job, if it is your relationships, if it is your car, if it is all these things, hold it with open hands. Because the idea, the cost of following Jesus, the question has to be asked, are we sure we want to do it? Because the cost is high. And that, and the, I remember the first time that I heard the cost of discipleship and the cost of following Jesus. It, I didn't understand what they were saying. But now that I'm in a different space in my life, I just realized that the cost is high. Emotional sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice, physical sp- sacrifice financial sacrifice it's this constant idea of lord you died for me so i'm gonna live a life where if you call me to do something i'm gonna do it that is the cost the yes is the cost and so you have a religious leader saying i'll follow you and jesus is like are you sure because jesus never lied about what it meant to follow him he didn't sugarcoat it what he did promise was that um christ followers will be persecuted that they will face trials and tribulation, that they will have a relationship and reconciliation with Father God. But if the Messiah has experienced these things, then why would we think that we wouldn't? If the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior, Lord, goes through all these things, then why don't we think we shouldn't? And I think a part of that is just living in America like we don't if think about it if you're sick what's the first thing you do WebMD that's not a good space. I do not start with WebMD <laughs> call them to work call them to work rest rest if our kids are sick we're like emergency room <laughs> like urgent care work overtime yeah uh take medicine are you guys medicine takers some people aren't but like some people take medicine. There's all these other options when we're sick. But imagine if we were in a place in the world where we couldn't go to the urgent care. We couldn't check WebMD. We couldn't work overtime. We couldn't take meds. We didn't have the luxury to rest. We didn't have all the things we have here. We'd most likely turn to prayer and belief that there is healing when like the nations that experience the most religious persecution are nations that are exploding when it comes to new believers because there is no other option 
in the sense of like there's this is it this is their life they have counted the cost and they are following it that in the face of persecution people are still gathering even in in house churches bt dubs the growing model globally are house churches because people are bivocational they're intentionally meeting in their communities and it gives everybody a place to come without attracting police officers and so people are gathering and they're counting the costs and they're saying i'm all in but their circumstances are so different than us and so as we count the costs of what it means to follow jesus as we begin to think just like if we are the religious people and we're like i want to follow you think about jesus saying are you sure And then the following verse, as we close on these two verses, another one of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. What are your initial thoughts when you, uh, when you heard these two verses? He says it's his father. Then he says, but I guess mine doesn't say spiritually dead. What does your translation it say? It just says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Mm-hmm. What does it make you think or feel? I wrote brutal, period. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying cruel. Cruel? Nico, what do you think? What did you think when you like heard that verse? Uh, it's like very interesting with the spiritually, like the let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Like mm-hmm. those two things are different. Like being like physically dead, like mm-hmm. spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. Is that incorrect or? <laughs> yeah, there is a difference in interest. Different translations. So Jess's didn't say spiritually dead; it just said dead. Mine says spiritually dead. Does anybody have a different translation? Mine says the same as that, but when I've listened to commentaries, I've heard that. Spiritually dead. I think it... Means non-believers, they're not followers. Yeah. But they're not following me, so nothing to do with it. My first thought was, why was he with Je- Why was he uh, with Jesus here if his dad had died and needed a burial? Because he says, I need to, I'll follow you, but I need to go and bury my father. And so I looked into that and it was the responsibility of the son to bury their family and burial had to happen in 24 hours, but the ceremonies and the mourning that happens afterwards can last up to a week, two weeks. And so regardless of where this guy is, that disciple is in his if his dad was dead, then what part of that process was he in? And so it made me dig a little deeper. And the context of that verse in um, verse 21 was let me go bury my father was this is my responsibility. So I can't follow you and go too far because if something did happen to my mother or my father, I will need to go back. So I will just stay here until they die. I will bury them, and then I will follow you. 
So he's speaking at a level of commitment. How committed are you to following me? Because Bonds says, let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the, spirit, the, the dead. <coughs> and that part is essentially let the spiritually dead, let the people who are wasting away, let the people who are dying, let the excuses of the dead, let them handle themselves. You will follow me now if you want to follow me, which also seems real intense and real brutal. But Jesus in his teachings is constantly using like extreme examples of doing this. He is saying, you want to follow me, but you want to do all these things first. And the extreme example was burying my father. Context, he wasn't dead, but the guy was saying, I'm going to wait here until he dies. And once he dies and I do my responsibilities as a son, I will then go and follow you. So he had a reason to say, like, I, I can't really follow you for too far or too long because I've got some things I need to take care of. So the conversation, the way that I read it, disciple, I got things I need to take care of before I follow you. Jesus says, nope, follow me now. And what stood out to me was all the reasons that we can come up with to not follow Jesus. Globally, it is the fear of rejection from family and communities. Like when Muslims um, attend church and they follow Jesus, that it, they have to hide that from their families in the most part. And if they get baptized is when they're completely cut off from their family. And so this guy was saying, I've got things that I need to do first. And I think like how often we can come up with those examples before we follow Jesus. Like whatever God calls us to do in whatever season. Like I know that Riley and I have come up with reasons to like, oh, I got to take care of some stuff first. Support this missionary. I need some things I need first before I can go support these missionaries. Um, go and reach out to this person. Oh, I've got, I've got some things here I need to take care of. And there's all these reasons and so my question for us in that verse and in that space, what are some reasons you might have to not follow Jesus or you can think of that people use to not follow Jesus, full committal to Jesus? Prayers not being answered. That's a reason, yeah. So Jesus doesn't do what we want, therefore we will not do what God calls us to, yep. right? Okay. Well, it's a lot. Like somebody that went to church and knew God died. Mm hmm. So loss is a reason. Just things being hard. Yeah. When he asks you to do something hard. I think a lot of us um, that live comfortably don't want to do hard things or uncomfortable mm. things or if anything that might make people think less of us. Yeah. Any, I mean, any little thing we use as an excuse. And from big things like go, like, like become missionaries to small things, go talk to that person across the street. It's like, I don't know what they're oh, thinking. I gotta get off the couch. I gotta get off. 
What will do they know. think I'm weird if I do that? What are some other excuses or reasons that we have? I'm busy. I'm busy. Busy doing things we think we need to do. Mm hmm. Fear of failure. Like if God calls you to do something or go somewhere, afraid of failure. What I think is interesting in America, we really hate failure and we really hate discomfort. <laughs> and we really love busy. And these are all enemies of <laughs> like the faith. Um, the, uh, your past. Your past, yeah. What do you think you're doing, Riley? I missed a question, so I'm just trying to get through. <laughs> so when Jesus has let the spiritually dead bury the dead, and his interchange with the disciple is like, essentially, I have all these things I need to take care of before I follow you. And Jesus is like, no, hard pass, follow me now. And just thinking about, like, what are some excuses that we might come up with or use... And it could be, like, bearing your, like, having the responsibility of bearing your father is not, like, a terrible excuse. It's a very real thing. Extreme situation. But what are some excuses maybe you have had in your own life to not wholeheartedly follow God? Where he called you to go? To, like, things that you know people have used. Reasons. Yeah, I think, like, discomfort. I think, like, um not wanting to make waves not mm. trying to push boundaries not wanting to be that person mm. not wanting to lose respect not wanting to lose um, the way that people view you mm. mm -hmm. you might lose out on stuff that you have now kind of like kind of going back to like the open hand thing you yeah. might have like all these things you, know, yeah. you might have a house or something and like uh, if the call is to like move somewhere, you know, to the East Coast or whatever, you might not be willing to, you know, you might not be willing to know what those things go yeah. initially. Not having control. Because I think mm. when you decide to do what God wants you to do, you don't always know what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's like, okay, take this step. And I'm a planner. I'm like, okay, then what next? What, what happens after that? Like, <laughs> that, that means this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to know. You just have to do it and then, like, basically wait for the next step. And yeah. That's, that's scary. Up control. Why I love, there's a lot of reasons why I love Jesus. Um, one of the, my favorite things about Jesus is that he never sugarcoated what it meant to actually follow him. He never once made it just about lollipops and unicorns. And then what makes me frustrated about the way we teach the gospel now is we tell people the parts that make, that is easy and fun and like desirable. And we don't let people into the parts that is what actually builds faith, which is every time God calls us to do something and we obey, that is building our faith. 
every time we pray for something and God answers, that builds our faith. Every time we pray for something and he doesn't answer, that can build our faith. And so when we don't teach the entirety and the depth of the Bible and we only share the parts that we think people want to hear because maybe it'll make this thing sound more attractive and desirable and then we'll convert people. That was never Jesus's like, that was never his, his way. His way was, I want to follow you. Are you sure? Because I don't even have a place to sleep at night. I want to follow you. I've got things to take care of. No, follow me now. Because if you're going to commit, let's commit to this. And I appreciate that because I, like that is something that we want to like impart on our children. It's like following Jesus is not about being perfect. It's not about having your crap together all the time. It is about a daily decision that you're going to try your best that day to honor Jesus and what you have learned so far about what honoring Jesus is. And it's this journey of walking and choosing to make faith decisions because it's scary. I like control a lot and I don't like to do hard things. But knowing that those are two parts of my very, like, nature, it seems like God is continually saying, like, so you're going to constantly be uncomfortable, constantly be inconvenient. But there's a joy that Riley and I have found in obeying God that we have never found anywhere else. So to us, it is worth it. So Jesus is saying, are you sure? But I think Jesus is also saying, because it's worth it. What you get in exchange for living a life that is wholly abandoned and obedient to God is reconciliation and relationship with your creator. It, you, you, get, you, you get to experience purpose. You get to experience community. You get to experience like this is what you were made for and you tap into that space. So you have to ask, are your, are your reasons, are those going to continue to be reasons that will stop you from obeying God? And so my next question is, how can we practically apply this section of scripture to our lives? And why I want us to say it out loud is that it also forms an act of accountability. When we share like, oh, this is something that I see in my life that, okay, this is how I can apply it. Oh, it's totally fine. Um, how can we practically apply this section of scripture to our life? This exchange with either the religious scribe that says, I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, are you sure? And the disciple who goes, I'll follow you. I got some things I need to take care of. And Jesus is like, no, nah, you follow me now. 